This is the David Birnbaum Connection, and I'm David Birnbaum. My guest today is Patrick Scherzer. Patrick is a lifelong conservative, and he's also part of the LGBTQ community. Him and I talk about politics, playing politics, and self-censoring, and also what led him to be a conservative and what being a gay conservative is like. It's a really great conversation, and I always enjoy talking to Patrick. I hope you enjoy it as well. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, support us on Patreon, and enjoy. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. No problem, David. Happy to be with you. So you're one of the few people I know act actively or, or somewhat actively engaged in politics. So I am interested to kind of, you know, I'm most interested in, in playing politics, I guess. Right. And the, you know, how you have to navigate as someone who you're not a politician, but it, there's still, I guess, as soon as you're as soon as you're in that realm, uh, you have to be wary of, you know, what you post, what you say. Um, so I'm wondering, without getting into examples, are there things that you'd be open to talk about, you know, if I wasn't recording that maybe we, I can't get you to say while recording? I guess that depends. Yeah. It's, I don't view it as much, uh, different than what you would put on, say your LinkedIn profile. Okay. If you were applying for jobs, you were, um, dealing with colleagues in a professional setting that way. Yeah. I think how people conduct themselves in politics is similar uh, to that realm and that you want to put a professional face forward. Mm. If you're in politics, especially say you're a candidate and you're representing people, that's what they expect of you is they expect somebody that's uh, professional to represent them in that way. And so how do you feel about the pushback? Cause you know, obviously I, I understand, you know, some some level of profession of, you know, being professional, but obviously there's this mentality or, or sentiment among a lot of people that the political correctness has gone a bit too far. And, and politicians of both sides of the spectrum, you know, hold themselves to maybe too much of a standard. So we see this absurd pushback by, you know, Doug Ford, Donald Trump and, and people in other countries, too. I can totally, I totally agree with that, actually, because it's a hard balancing act to get. Yeah. And some people are quite good at it and other people aren't. And you can kind of see that as you go um, you watch politicians of all parties, of all levels of government. Mm-hmm. Some people are really good at being naturally themselves, which yeah. is something that I think is really important. Yeah. It being, being professional in a setting shouldn't mean not being able to be yourself. They're not yeah. totally juxtaposed which mm-hmm. sometimes it, it appears that they are if people are really scripted with the lines that they're saying. Yeah. You know that that's not how they would talk in a normal setting. Mm-hmm. But at least from my perspective, the people who succeed the best in politics are the ones that are authentic and can actually connect with the voters that they're seeking to represent. And you can see that. And some people are just really good at that. They have that kind of uh, folksy charm, if you can call it that, where yeah. you would talk to them and you instantly feel that they understand you or that they're listening to you in a way that sometimes when you talk to other politicians or other people, they're only treating you as a vote and not an actual person. Do you feel, you know, so you're, I'll out you as a conservative, I guess, um, for anyone listening who who hasn't seen you on other shows, but uh, do you think it's easier for the conservative people to do that than it is right now for people on the left? They They definitely seem to have, to me, a bit more of a, you know, a magnifying glass on, on them. I think the left has gone a little 
far on that kind of political uh, correctness stand. Yeah, I guess you could that you could call it that. Mm. That you should be able to have views and express them and have differences with people. And I think yeah. being a conservative, that's something that uh, we accept. And we're very keen on there's differences within our party of people who have different views on things, but yeah. we have overall arching goals that we can find common ground on and move forward. But you even see on the left now, there's a bit, a lot more a fracturing where people are very siloed in the fact that it's kind of my way or the highway kind of thinking. And you only have that particular point of view and yeah. the political correctness has turned up to such a degree that anyone that may say something that would, offend somebody's political correctness whatever uh, their interpretation of that would be is immediately kind of demonized and ostracized to a degree that i don't think you see on the conservative side that's fair the one example i want to kind of bring up then i guess because right now most of the things that are let's call it politically incorrect are you know made by the left wing but that wasn't the case you know even very recently when i when you thought of political correctness it was more so about like censorship on television and like you know uh, more like what is moral and and should we be showing certain things and the most potent example right now is drugs to me still right like i i can't imagine a conservative candidate or or many conservative people being comfortable to admit drug past drug use um or present drug use even though marijuana is legal so it seems to me that there are still some things that they couldn't be honest about. And, and, you know, you could argue that, you know, well, okay, I wouldn't put in my LinkedIn profile, I smoke weed or whatever, right? Um, but when it's something that's a polit that is, you know, a social issue in politics, don't you think, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I can't believe that there's not a single conservative MP that has ever smoked pot. Like, I find that hard to believe. But I, I feel like they'd still be, you know, at risk if they admitted it. I think there it depends on where that person would fall on the right leaning spectrum. People who would be more uh, libertarian, which there's a good chunk of people in that party and in the party in general that have more libertarian views that way. Yeah. Would be accept accepting of that. It's your life. You can choose how to live it however you want and if you want to do that, but then fine, you can do that. Mm. And I think there's more people in the party that way then actually kind of gets credit you look even at the last leadership race yeah it was decided on a hair's breadth between andrew Scheer, who people could call kind of more a bit of a traditional conservative not in a socially conservative way but a bit more Mm. in the traditional kind of stephen harper mold yeah or uh maxime bernier who's much more libertarian and has views and uh, policy ideas that were vastly different on some aspects than Mm -hmm. Uh, what Andrew Scheer had. Yeah. And I think if that a kind of libertarian wing that Maxime Bernier was running on, which he was, free my beer, get rid of the LCBO, that kind of argument. Yeah. Getting 49 point whatever percent shows, shows that, that there actually are a lot of people in the party that have those views. It just is not kind of, I guess, openly as, as talked about as, like, say, Justin Trudeau saying, oh, yeah, I smoked a joint three weeks ago or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that's I mean, I really think that's an important point, though, that I think in most of the major parties, the a large portion is just more open to things than the parties themselves allow because they kind of tend for whatever reason to be controlled by 
you know, more hardcore people these days. And that's kind of, you can say that of all political parties, not necessarily being uh, controlled by people on either very far on the spectrum of either side, Mm -hmm. but each party puts together policy positions and goes forward on that. Mm -hmm. And generally those kind of seek to align with as many people as you can fit kind of within the tent, but nobody will ever go in for an election platform and say, oh yeah, when they're voting, I agree with everything or very few people would. on in their entire platform people will agree with uh certain things and not others it all depends on what their individual um vote comes down to but you do see uh, you there is a bit of polarization not necessarily in canada so much Mm -hmm. but especially in the states where you see a huge drive to either side either very far on the left or very far on the right leaving the center kind of vacant but people don't seem to be interested in the united states with the center because you see centrist candidates kind of come up and often they don't do as well as what people would think. If you look back to the 2016 election, for example, you have Donald Trump on one side pulling way to way out on kind of left field. And he ends up getting much more support than someone who has uh, governing experience. It's much more of a centrist. So somebody like John Kasich or Jeb Bush, for example, when you think in theory that they're kind of straddling the middle, the center, right, they'd have a broader base. But really, when it comes to the narrow primaries, the base actually tacked much more towards Donald Trump, allowing him to win. Yeah. And I think it definitely is worse in the States. But I, I, I believe and I'm worried that it start, that similar mentality is starting to leak upwards. The, the system is set up differently here, differently here obviously. Um, but it's still a risk. Yeah, I, it's a risk in any um, advanced democracy, I guess you could say. And you look mm-hmm. around... Uh, Europe, for example, um, even compared to Canada's better off than probably a lot of those places where you see these kinds of fringe populist movements coming up and really driving the narrative, whereas the center seems to be a crumbling. Here you have a conservative party and a liberal party that have, there are commonalities in certain things, whereas if you were to look at kind of the States or, or France, for example, there's there's almost no commonality on some of those points, which is actually quite scary because there's no, there's no compromise able to, able to happen, which doesn't make for uh, good public policy in a lot of areas. So I want to ask about populism. I want to get your thoughts because I inherently, like I understand that in most places and in most cases that it's been used, it's a bad thing. But populism to me is generally the people taking power, right? Like, a democracy is inherently whoever shows up takes power. And so I, I never I never really saw populism itself as being inherently negative. It's just usually employed by people who are negative and have nefarious goals. That's that's right. It's not a negative term, per se. It's kind of become one based on its, its adoption by people like Donald Trump or... Um, Marie Le Pen in, in France or Viktor Orban in Hungary is kind of being uh, a term that becomes kind of like alt-right with that kind of connotation mm-hmm. when, when it isn't. It, at its core, you're right. What the term actually is, 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 it's about the people, which is what democracy should be about in the first place. But right. when you twist it that way, it's looking at what the people want, but they're only those people who claim to be populist 
are only looking at what a small segment of the population wants and claiming it's for everyone against the elites. It's creating kind of the us versus them uh, in a different way that, that ends up benefiting those people in a narrow sense yeah. to, to win elections because it riles up a certain, a certain base. But populism at its um, plain meaning of being uh, for people and for their own ideas can actually still be something that doesn't have that connotation. If you look at the last provincial election, for example, yeah, the whole slogan of the PC party was for the people. Well, there would be and, some people who'd argue Doug Ford, I mean, fits the mold of these. Some people would argue he fits the mold of this, you know, alt-right populism. I think that's <laughs> quite a bit absurd. Okay. Um, if you look at him compared to Donald, there's no, there's no comparison. The comparison that people draw is the fact that he is uh, gregarious, speaks in a plain manner. I don't think that that has anything to do with any uh, policy that you could possibly link to Donald Trump. Okay. He's not, he's not anti-immigration in the way that Donald Trump is. He doesn't hold those kind of alt-right positions. And He's he, for the people in the sense that... He didn't that, seem to stoke fear that much. There was no, like, you know... Yeah, it didn't seem dangerous at any point, let's say. No, he was looking to do things that benefit the ordinary person. And that's kind of what he's always done. Both him and, and Rob Ford, for whatever you think of them, mm -hmm. they were both doing things that they thought benefited the people Yeah, at, at, their, at their core. And you can see that. And you, if you talk to Doug or anything, he is actually quite a really nice person. Mm -hmm. And someone who's really easy to talk to and someone who's really easy to get along with and genuinely cares about the people that he's talking to and what he can do for them. Yeah. And I think you can see that in some of the uh, policies and things the government's brought in and will bring in. Some things that impact people's daily lives right off the bat that just kind of make sense. Like the recent one this last week of getting rid of the drive clean program. Mm -hmm. Something that people continually did. And every time you would go, your car would pass. Yeah. So what is the point of you going to spend all this money when the there's no huge polluters on the road and people driving their regular vehicles anymore? Yeah. That's it's something fair. that instead of going every uh, birthday or whenever you get your license sticker changed and having to have that done and waste your time and waste the government's money and waste your money before when it was uh, paid for by individuals, it just didn't make any sense anymore. So to scrap something in the common sense way like that is very for the people and you could say that it's populist or whatever but populism at its core doesn't have to have that negative connotation that it's gotten in the last few years just based on the people who use it as a term that they identify with do you do you think there are elites like i think there's a political elite class oh of, of course there is there's people um of course i don't i don't know how else um that you could describe that there always are elites, but elites don't necessarily have to be a, a negative thing. It's no. the kind of the, ju the juxtaposition, I guess you could say that people rail against, against the so-called elites. But what, what you classify the elites as you classify the elites as the politicians. Well, so yeah, I guess some people classify it as like even, you know, scientists included and, 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 you know, highly educated people included, which I think is where you get, a very dangerous, you know, very dangerous walls built up. 
but I do like I the way I view it is there there seems to be a clear distinction of people who are kind of career politicians and they live and work in the Ottawa bubble and and they're not particularly connected with you know what people care about and it seems to be from what I I mean I don't have a huge amount of experience but it seems to be skewed towards you know poli- like the the stereotype of like the politicians in the big cities seems to be true because when I met MPs who are from like you know uh, rural New Brunswick or whatever, they seemed much more connected with their with their brethren than one of 50 MPs from Toronto, let's say. Yeah, and it all depends how you define elites. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going back, if, say, you define elites as uh, politicians in general, mm-hmm. oh, they may be a bad thing, there's that kind of... But is an elite somebody who comes in to politics for a purpose to represent the people... They're there, and then they leave a few years later. Is that an elite? Or is it an elite? You're defining elite by a politician who's been there for 25 years, and they're really removed from their community, and you don't really see them as doing much. Or whereas Mm. a doctor could be classified as an elite because they're highly educated, and they're doing very specialized work. Of course you'd want your doctors to be highly educated and Mm -hmm. trained when they're treating you. So saying that all all elites are bad, and you're clumping everyone in that category, elites in in that realm or definition mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing it depends yeah. how you define it well i mean there is a growing uh sentiment in the u.s of people not trusting their doctors and not trusting experts of any kind right not tr- to that to that broader definition of elites yeah you do see that and i think that's very dangerous worrying, it's a very worrying trend for people to lose faith in the institutions that are there yeah and of the people who help run those institutions because once you lose that faith, it's like trust in a friendship or a relationship. It takes years and years and years to build that and only a few things to tear it down. Yeah. And I think these institutions are very much the same. We kind of take it all for granted mm-hmm. that everything works in this liberal democratic way, but it wasn't always like this. Yeah. So being able to shore up those kind of institutions and making sure that people politicians that are elected are are representing their communities well mm-hmm. and that are attentive to the issues on the ground and are listening i think goes a long way to kind of dispelling that that myth of the bad elites are running everything mm-hmm. okay now i want to shift i want to shift a bit towards you and, and your journey into and around politics i guess so you know, you're a, anyone who, any young person who's interested in politics is a minority because young people generally are quite apathetic. So when did you, you know, get interested and dive into politics and why? I got involved when I was in my undergrad at Laurier. Okay. I'd always liked history and history ties in with politics, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. As I was growing up. But I never actively been involved in any campaigns or anything like that. No one in my family was. They always voted. Mm-hmm. Every single election day, made sure that their cards were there. They went to the church down the street and cast their ballot. Everyone, municipal, provincial, federal, it was always a thing that you voted. But it was never that they would be canvassing, campaigning for a candidate or really expressing views publicly. But I always had views that were kind of center right 
And when you're in university and you're taking political science and history courses, there's overlap between you're meeting people that are your age and tend to have other views that are similar to yours or opposite of yours, but you're engaged in the same kind of discussions. Yeah. So being in that realm kind of opened my eyes to the ability to kind of get involved. And Laurier has a really good uh, campus clubs and a really good campus conservative club. So I ended up joining that club when I was in my undergrad and met really great people and really good friends that I'm still friends with today that opened my eyes and kind of brought me into that realm. Yeah. To canvas for your first time or something is terrifying. You're going to knock on doors mm -hmm. for candidates. You don't really know. You don't know if somebody's going to be angry or screaming in your face, for example. So that, that can be terrifying. But if you have somebody that's done it before and is willing to kind of take you along, all it takes is going once. Yeah. And then the, the kind of fear factor of doing it is over and you realize, oh, yeah, that's kind of fun. I met some really good people. I want to do it again. And it kind of starts to, it starts to steamroll really fast once you get involved. So there was, it was right before kind of the 2014 provincial election. So there were great candidates in uh, Waterloo that I was able to help. Uh, Tracy Weiler was wonderful. And it was great to be engaged on her campaign with a whole bunch of people from Laurier. Yeah. Okay. And so now... You know, I'm interested always because for the Liberal Party, it seems that provincial and federal line up quite well, like in their ideologies. But it always seemed to me that the conservatives shifted around a bit more and that the provincial wasn't always necessarily aligned with the federal. Do you find that? And which one are you drawn more towards? I don't necessarily find that now. I mean, I think it depends on who the leaders are at both levels. Okay. Because you kind of have leaders who have very similar viewpoints and then your alignment's going to make perfect sense sometimes you'll have leaders who don't even within the same party because we're a big tent party you may have people on kind of different different realms that don't necessarily agree on everything so you might not have the best relationship and i think the issues are also different there's a strong connection between provincial and federal not only with uh, funding but with joint issues but the province has total control over health and education, for example, in a realm that the federal government really has very little to do with. So when you're looking at those kind of issues, it's really up to the province to decide what's going on. They don't, the engagement or say of a federal leader isn't really that relevant to what an individual province is doing. So in that way, there could be differences and they um, might express them or not express them. But I think overall today, I think it's very, very similar in that it's a, a center right kind of message, both at the federal and provincial level in Ontario. Which one interests you more? Are you drawn towards provincial versus federal? Not particularly. I, I enjoy federal because I enjoy international relations. That's what I focused on in, in my master's and my mm -hmm. undergrad mostly. So I always had a soft spot for that. But being engaged in work within kind of the education system for so long, you become much more familiar with that kind of sector and how things work. And you know people at different stages and in different degrees and how their job prospects are and uh, versus mine versus somebody else's. And then even now, too, being um, working in law, the legal system is administered mostly from a uh, provincial standpoint. Yeah. So see, uh, being able to, in, to interact with the 
Ontario, the provincial court system and superior court to see those kind of things makes it a lot more real and on the ground. And you can see changes that would be made in Queens Park directly affecting the work that I would be doing. Okay. Yeah. And so you see that kind of connection on the ground, which I think kind of draws you in. So I think there's pros on both sides and there's different issues that I um, am passionate about on both sides. So I wouldn't say that I particularly uh, like one more than the other. I think it just kind of depends on what the issue is. Do you ever feel like you're non-committal? That, that that kind of comes with the realm of politics that like and I, I don't mean to call you out but it's like there's a lot of both or, or like it's all about big tent it's all about everything is acceptable always which i guess is a good mindset to have but i'm wondering if it's authentic patrick or if it's a bit polit political patrick that's a fair question but i think it depends on what the issues are yeah. Like I have views on, on uh, particular issues. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have kind of a broad overarching tent view of everything. There's some things that I agree with and some things uh, that I don't agree with, which mm -hmm. with whatever government is doing. But I also think it, it's, it comes with the territory of anyone within any of these realms being engaged with any political party. You could sit there and see who it has a position and who is taking one and who isn't per se. But I think you even see that really played out in the media in the last two weeks, three weeks or whatever, even the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, with the Jody Wilson Raybold being removed from caucus. Yeah. You see the people within Philpott. the caucus. And Jane Philpott, yeah, who are there saying, This is what I believe and this is fine. And then other people in caucus who may have totally the opposite view and are expressing it. And then you have people that in caucus who there's some of them in there that don't, I could pretty much say that wouldn't necessarily agree with taking them out of caucus, but that's a position that they're in they're, If they mm -hmm. voice their own kind of dissent, that means that they're, they're gone. And that's not to say that that's how it should operate in politics. You should be able to have disagreements. Yeah. And I think, I think, we do or i do with my friends too like i have plenty of friends that are socially conservative yeah. do i agree with the um perspectives that they may take on certain issues no but would we agree on say fiscal policy or something yeah probably not always uh but there's there's those overlapping realms so where you wouldn't say that i completely disagree with something you may agree with something else i think that kind of comes with the territory but it's Standing on principle and having an opinion is also important because nobody likes someone who's inauthentic or somebody that's kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. You can only get around for so long by taking no position. You have to take a position on something because people can't just vote against someone. They also want to vote for someone. Yeah. that And I think that's kind of what you saw really hardcore with, um, you know, Hillary Clinton's loss was like, I'm not Donald Trump. And... When and, you know, I, I, I made a post about Doug Ford as well, that that was kind of the only arguments I was hearing was the others weren't Doug Ford. And as soon as your main as soon as your main platform point is I'm not the other guy, that's a loss. And it's so, not it's yeah, it's not enough. It does work to a degree because people do tire of politicians or whoever's in power and eventually they want to kick them out. Mm -hmm. But you need to give somebody something and an ideal um to vote for 
in all in all ways. I think that's the best way to energize and mobilize people who aren't necessarily within your uh, tent to begin with, because it takes more than just your base to win an election. You have to be able to present a vision going forward. I think those come out closer to an election generally when you pick out the points that you want and the policy positions that you want to put forward and that's what you're going to stand on. But I think that's that's really important because you can't, it's not enough just to simply be uh, opposed to something to win an election. Mm-hmm. To, on the on the topic of, of volunteering for the party, you know, I volunteered very briefly for the Liberal Party and it was just so disgusting to me. The Like, I was discouraged from showing my full potential because they'd already be like scared of me trying to come for their positions in the riding associations and that kind of stuff. And I didn't have issues with the MPs. All of the MPs I worked with were like seemed really incredible and really passionate about helping people. And they seemed to be kind of handcuffed in their ability by the Liberal Party itself. Um, within your realm of allowance, can you comment on, you know, if, if there's similar issues in the Conservative Party or if, if you felt anything like that? Because I've heard from other people within the Liberal Party that they've had, you know, from the young liberals and other places that they've had very similar issues. See, I've never experienced anything like that with, I guess, the young Tories, I guess you can call the mm-hmm. group of them, that there's never been any of that kind of overarching drive to, I don't want to say maintain power or something. But, but that's what it, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. What, yeah, what it I'll is. say to that. Keep your, to keep your youth positions, per se, Yeah. Um, that you want to keep other people down. I've never, this wasn't even, when I, for me, it wasn't even just the youth. It was like, the the president of a of a riding association like definitely in his 40s or 50s was like threatened by me and and i said you know i might want to run for mp just to like to do it because i why not and then it was like they were alarmed by it and i was coming for them and all of this stuff i wasn't encouraged to actually care and be passionate yeah that's unfortunate because i've never experienced anything like that with any of the campaigns or candidates or anything in a bunch of different ridings that I've worked in. Everybody is looking for people to work for them. You want to bring people in that are willing to volunteer their time and work in that way to help the candidate, help the riding. There's never any um, fear of someone kind of taking your position that you'd actually take the steps to turn them away or, or deflect them somewhere mm-hmm. else like i've never experienced any of that there may be jockeying within people within say a riding association or people within the riding itself who want yeah. to run for mp and they're building kind of their teams they're looking towards the nomination of course that's natural you have parties who are going to be fighting over the same pool of members in order yeah. to try and get a nomination of course that's good that's going to happen and in every riding you have something like that depending how many people are all all in and running yeah that's natural but that's a kind of inner party you know that you're all still friends but you're just you are putting your candidacy forward while the other person's putting theirs you never turn turn them away or be afraid i we always seemed from my personal experience to always want to welcome people in because that's what you want to do yeah and i think that's really good for building people and the movement i guess you could say in general, because you want people who are engaged and who 
feel welcome. That's one of the biggest things. Whenever you're um, bringing in somebody who hasn't canvassed before, someone who hasn't really been engaged that much, you make a special effort to make them feel welcome and included because it's not something that they've done a whole bunch of times before. And if you treat them well and they feel happy and included while they're doing that, they'll come back again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do the opposite, like with your experiences, you're not going to want to go back there if oh, that's the not. way that they've, they've treated you and they've turned off in a way somebody who could actually be a very big asset for them. So you say like, you know, big conservatives, big tent, inclusive. That's not the mentality I hear about conservatives generally, right? Like what, what are your thoughts on the way that your parties are painted? I think the media and people tend to focus on issues that sometimes make for a good headline, but they don't actually have any real relevance beneath the surface of a headline. Mm-hmm. Good example is in... October, November at the PC convention, there was a motion passed by Tonya Grenick Allen, who was one of the leadership contenders in the leadership race before, who is uh, very much an active social conservative. Her whole kind of campaign platform was based around opposition to the uh, revamped sex ed curriculum. Mm -hmm. And they passed a motion essentially saying that that's the sex ed curriculum is, is done Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And the motion passed. It's a non-binding motion. It's passed at the convention at nine o'clock in the morning on the Sunday. There's mm-hmm. nobody in the convention hall except her and her supporters and a few other people because they've come out in number to yeah. present that forward. And the media jumps all over it that the PC party says this. No, we didn't say anything. It's a motion passed by one small segment who are welcome to be there and welcome to express their view. But that isn't binding on anyone. That doesn't mean that that's what the party's position is. And the next day, the party comes out and denies it. Because Doug Ford ran on that whole platform. He removed Tanya Granick Allen from her candidacy. She won a nomination, a valid nomination in Mississauga. And he removed her as a candidate based on her statements, which he found were offensive and didn't fit with the party's views. Removed her from her candidacy and... The media then goes and says that this is the party's platform. I want and this to jump, is what the party agrees. I want to jump in and ask about your thoughts on something like that, on the leader being able to remove a candidate. Because to me, I see that as a big problem, actually. And so I've said a few times that in, in some ways I view Canadian politics as more corrupt than American politics because it couldn't be taken over by populists, because the leaders have these supreme powers to control who can and can't run. So really, there's just the political parties that maintain. You can't really have a good chance of winning without a political party, and they can veto whoever they want. So you can't have a case of the Tea Party or, or some group taking over a political party, which I think is actually problematic. There's a push-pull with what people uh, want and what the parties actually want. You want people who are elected by the members of the riding because that's your grassroots. Those are the people who are there in the riding that are actually voting for the candidate, dealing with the local issues that are there. Of course, mm-hmm. grassroots democracy is incredibly important. You don't nobody from the top should be dictating down. Canada's system doesn't work like that because you don't vote for a prime minister. You vote for individual members who 
then have a leader within the caucus. That's how it's the American system. That's how well, it but, works, but it's not how it's working right now. Well, in, in the, because once you get into parliament, you have a leader that has very few checks on their power. Yeah. Quite actually, if you have a majority government, you can essentially do whatever you please, more or less, compared to having the checks and balances of the system like you do uh, for the states. But so I, I'm more concerned about do. the actual candidacy process that like the the ability of the leader to just completely veto a candidate for the party so it's like i guess i don't really like you know the party is an organization and they have the right to run themselves i guess but it seems i don't know it seems better to me that uh the the republicans and democrats can't stop someone from running and winning and running on their behalf because it it, it more forces an actual openness to other views than the elites that run the party may want. The the Democrats and or Republicans or whoever in a per district can also put their hands on the scale, per yeah. se. They may not full on deny somebody a nomination, but you can do a lot of things behind the scenes that make it very hard for somebody to uh, actually get a nomination. Yeah, but I think that's a legitimate power that exists in Canadian politics, and frankly, should exist because there are times mm. when it's the leader or the party should actually remove somebody from being candidate, even if the people in the riding have elected them um, to that role. And you see where there's kind of differences of what is right or wrong. It depends on the person and what their views are. But for example, you have Tanya Grenick Allen, who has views that are very opposed to mainstream conservative views that Doug Ford ran on of being somebody who is center-right. Yes, he had an issue with how the sex ed curriculum was brought in, but he promised to review it, consult parents again, because they weren't adequately consulted before. We'll consult them again, and then we'll make a decision with the curriculum. And they did. That's exactly what he did. Consulted with parents, got more feedback, came back, and guess what? The same sex ed curriculum that Kathleen Wynne put in is there with a few changes the parents wanted, changing yeah. the age gap up or down by a tiny bit, for particular issues. Okay, but and, so you don't think that, you know, conservatives are supposed to be a big tent and, um, you know, you're you're allowing social conservatives to be members but not necessarily candidates then? Well, there's, there's no problem with social conservatives being candidates. Sam Oosterhoff is a social conservative, you could say, and he's more than welcome to be a candidate. He's a great member of parliament. And someone that when I've had conversations with him is a very nice, genuine person. No problem mm -hmm. with him. Of course, we're not going to agree on all, all these uh, issues. We'll agree on some and we won't on others. But there's no problem with him uh, being in caucus. I think it's a real benefit for him to be there to have viewpoints on, the, on particular issues. So, so I guess it's then it's just hard to see where the line is, um, right? Which I think is kind of the problem that is, is more obvious on the left right now right that there's you know the the line is clearly in the wrong spot a lot of the time but for the right why like what is the line of if you say this socially conservative thing or this like is it overt racism it just seems that it's let, let's say the slippery slope argument that if he can if the parties can block like anyone for any reason in theory how do we know that's going to be applied well and, and properly? 
Well, you don't know it's going to be applied well or properly. It all depends on uh, who the leader is. And I think when you see leaders who uh, tamper with elections or nominations, because that eventually does come out. The candidates complain, they put forward, they even launch lawsuits based on uh, nominations not being fair. And Mm -hmm. you have, if those come out, it really damages the party and the leader itself because it doesn't look like they're fair. You saw some of that with when Patrick Brown was leader with some nominations that um, weren't necessarily fair or people didn't think were fair. And they came out drip, drip, drip on, on multiple ridings so much so they had to redo nominations in certain writings and they had to have um, uh, PwC come in and audit them. The things that just, it just looks bad. Why would you ever want that uh, from a party? Yeah. But I think it's up to the leader to understand there are certain circumstances where what you'll want to do is it's not right for this candidate to move forward or it's not right for this uh, person to remain in caucus if they said X or Y and remove them. But that's a, that's a line to be drawn where it's also up to the kind of general public. They're out there and they're voting for you and your party, and they think that what you did is correct. Yeah, we don't believe Tony Granick Allen should be the candidate here. We think he made a good call. That's fine. Mm-hmm. People were moving, say, Jody Wilson-Raybould from uh, the Liberal caucus because of uh, her opposition to a deferred prosecution agreement. People may see that differently. Yeah. And it's up to voters when they're making up their minds at election time or in those particular ridings to think, what do we really want? And sometimes those candidates run as independents in the same riding. They may not get the nomination again, but, but that doesn't run. stop them at all from running as an independent. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hope that we can get back to a place where, you know, people do are more well-informed about their local candidates and, and vote for that rather than the prime ministerial candidates, which seems to be the case more so. I want to ju- I want to ask about your thoughts on the whole Patrick Brown thing. Um, you know, was it just the party aside from whether they thought, you know, he was guilty or anything like that? Was it just self-preservation that like his stock was sinking, they couldn't control it and they needed to do something about it? I think it's more, not necessarily that fact, because it's actually quite risky, the strategy that the party, the party took Mm -hmm. because of the timing with the election coming up. Yeah. So this isn't like halfway through a cycle and you know you have two and a half years till the next election and you'll know, do you know what, we'll hold a nice long leadership race, all the candidates in, then we'll get a new leader, then they'll have a full year to find their feet. Because that's what you need. It takes time to build a reputation. Yeah. see that even with Andrew Scheer. He was elected almost two years ago. And it takes a long, you could ask people on the street and some people still don't know who he is because it takes time to build the reputation, to be there out before the media to actually build something that people can go, Oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. That's beneficial. That name recognition is really important for when you're voting. So then wouldn't it have been better to keep Patrick Brown? He had much more name recognition after the scandal. Well, he had not good (laughs) name recognition at that point. Um, But But it it seemed to explode or implode within like two days, right? Like it was so quick for them to act. I think that also goes to just the fact of, uh, probably his leadership style and how he ran the party when he was there, that caucus didn't have much faith in him. Just generally. At, at the whole time. Um, to see that so quickly after that came out, the decision was, you know what? We need, this is not going to work. 
based on the fact that also um, the allegations and things which still haven't fully been fleshed out are quite bad and that would undermine anyone and question you if you should actually have an allegation like that against you or multiple that you should be leading a party into an election. But putting that aside to say how fast things kind of played out within the party, I think it's also a symptom of the amount of support that he had in the party to begin with. Do you think it's a good thing or a went. bad thing that it was handled so quickly that they really like it, rushed it and pushed it? I think at that stage was important to move it so fast because there really wasn't any choice based on how quick the, the election is coming up. You really, every day counts when you're trying to um, elect a leader. Even the leadership race was a ridiculous, like 30 days or something. The one in 2015 was 10 months. Oh, wow. If not more, that that was it was it was almost too long, but it was mm-hmm. long compared to something being so compressed where people can barely get their uh, campaign literature out before the voting is actually happening. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it was really important to take that step and move forward quickly because it's it's important to be able to put a new face forward and to move forward when you have an election only three or four months away. And then how do you feel about his decision to then run and win mayor of mayor of Brampton, I believe, right? I think it takes guts, honestly, um, for someone to be in that role and to to not give up. Because he could have easily just put his head down and gone, this is the end of my career, or wait four years and I'll try something else. No, instead, the second that he's kicked out of leader, then he's running for chair of Peel. And then when chair of Peel region is pulled away, then he's going to run for mayor. I mean, it's almost it's almost ridiculous in the sense that it's like, well, what what is Patrick Brown running for now? Yeah. So the running joke. Um, but you still have to um, look at his determination and go, do you know what, if that's what he wants to do and he wants to get out there and work, it's up to the voters to decide. Yeah. Uh, totally with him. So he can run for whatever the heck he wants. If, he, if people don't have faith in him and they don't uh, want him to be their leader of, uh, as an MP or uh, mayor of Brampton, then they won't vote for him. But yeah. the people in Brampton liked him enough that they elected him clearly in October. And so what are your thoughts on like, because I guess some people would think that, you know, he cared about provincial politics and then all of a sudden he cares about municipal politics. Is it just that he cares about helping? Is it like really that simple? And and so he's just trying to find where he can do that best? Or he's just an opportunist wanting to uh, find get something. elected office at some point because that's really that's really only only all he's done and how how do um, you know the difference like how do you tell you don't it's it, it's too hard because you kind of get that when you have somebody that's been in politics for so long like patrick brown was elected uh to barry city council while he was still in law school and then was a federal member of parliament and then a provincial leader and then an mpp and so, and all of that, and he's only 40, not yeah. even 40. So to say that that's kind of all you've done for your career, that makes it really hard to say, well, why are you actually, you know, why are you doing all these things because you really believe in a particular cause? Or are you doing all these things because one thing is a stepping stone to another thing is a stepping stone to another? Yeah. Which well, and that just think- seems more likely when it, especially from a jump from like, provincial to municipal so quickly let's say it seems like there's clearly different policy uh, priorities in one versus the other so what is it he's actually caring about well yeah and it looked almost ridiculous at the end there between the 
uh, region of Peel and Brampton and signing the papers on the last day mm-hmm. kind of thing, because it, it literally looked as that it was just like, can someone please let this man run for something? So that yeah, let me be <laughs> in charge of something. Yeah. Is what it kind of, I don't think that necessarily uh, helped his brand. Not that it was could be much won, lower than yeah. it was before, but he still ran a campaign and beat an incumbent mayor, mm-hmm. which is difficult to do in a municipality yeah. where a voter turnout tends to be lower and people just go, um, tend to be for the incumbent. All press is good press, I guess. <laughs> for him, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I want to get back to you and, um, you know, ab- talking a bit more about why you're a conservative and like, you know, so some of your, uh, I guess, philosophies or principles, because since we've known each other, I've shifted from being a fairly left wing liberal to being a libertarian, like a hardcore libertarian. So now I'm inter- I'm interested in, you know, why? Well, I guess why you're not more libertarian now, <laughs> but um because to me, I kind of like hopped right over the idea of being conservative. Um, so I'm kind of interested, yeah, how how you view yourself in in that you know comparison between liberals and uh, libertarians, and um, you know what are your core issues that you care about that align with the conservative party. I think it, it all comes down to the issues as to kind of where you fall, and there is still there's a lot of overlap for everyone. Yeah. Um, some of the main issues that I care about most, the free market and open, open trade is something that's really important to me. I think that you, we've gotten such global prosperity because of lowering tariff barriers and non-tariff barriers all over the world that we're able to produce products and export them and have products come into our market without paying essentially a tariff as a tax on goods coming in. Mm-hmm. That just kills um, productivity for your own workers, for being able to create more and produce and export it, and hurts imports coming in. Okay. So I think that's something that's really important for me is to have that free free market and that um, individual enterprise. I think also spending within your means is something that probably goes to the core of to why I'm a conservative, because that's the way that I've always lived and the way that I was brought up that if I wanted something I had to work for it mm-hmm. if I didn't have the money for it I couldn't buy it I had to save until I got it yeah and if and... I wanted to attain a, a a better a job or a position or something I had to work hard save my money go to school to do that that's just good kind of the um the principles that I grew up with which I think is what informs my views of of being a conservative and so I would agree with those principles, but my assessment as, you know, someone who was leaving the left, let's say, like I, I tried to look at those principles and look at who was serving them best. And my determination was it was the Libertarian Party, that they have a more pure form of a lot of the conservative principles. There are a lot of Libertarian principles that I think align align well. They just tend to be... Um, some of them are a bit involve, I guess, a lot of change that people don't necessarily um, support on a broad scale. I guess one thing that you could look at is say like a flat tax, mm-hmm. which is a very libertarian um, kind of proposal that why do we have all these taxes and these credits and which frankly is inefficient. You look at when you're doing your taxes and you go, okay, well, if I take off the the textbook tax credit and then my 
tax credit for education and then for my kid playing sports, all that stuff like that you're taking money out of one hand and putting in the other. Wouldn't it just be easier if you just reduce the taxes and made everybody pay one flat rate? It would make the administration and everything a lot easier. Yeah. But, but people don't in, in general, people are like, no, no, I like my textbook tax credit. I want to keep that. So it's difficult to kind of generate uh, the change that way that you may see that libertarians have a lot of really good and really interesting um, principles and things that align. And I agree with some of the things, um, but I think I'd certain to implement some of those. I think they just kind of fall on, on a different realm where people don't necessarily want to touch it for so good or bad. Libertarians seem to like view conservatives as being sellouts or, or, you know, they're trying to be pragmatic that, it's winning and and governing is more important than the actual principles. I think it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. You can have real principles and be a real ideologue, but you're not going to. If you're not in power, how are you going to ever implement any of those changes? But and if I think you're not strict to your principles, how are you ever actually going to succeed at them? That's the whole point, because you have people that. Um, agree with certain things and you come in and they go, okay, well now I don't agree with that anymore. Mm -hmm. For um, one of the things was that Stephen Harper before way back in the reform days was very much for a triple E Senate elected, effective and equal. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to change that, you have to change the whole constitution and everything, which is essentially almost beyond uh, the pale of anyone being able to do that. So then come into power and senators are being appointed like they were for the last 150 years kind of thing what what so you see you that while being pragmatic in comparison to um having kind of principles some things you can push through and move forward like getting rid of the wheat board that doesn't make any sense anymore we don't need that that's gone what but certain things like the senate aren't necessarily what do you think government should do what are the most important roles of government important roles yeah because libertarians like i'm 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 basically an objectivist so i i believe in almost no government um and so i'm interested what what are the main roles that you think it's important for government to exist for the government exists to keep people safe yeah. you want you have to have you have to have borders you have to have a military that can protect your civilians yeah your government also exists to provide services for people. Everybody accepts on kind of the right or left now the need for um, a social welfare state in some form, regardless of how big or how small it is. The need to not have uh, people just kind of on the street. The need to have benefits, uh, social benefits, health care that's affordable. Those kind of things need to exist within a society because society should take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Right. In a and, way. and so I guess that's where I'm kind of stuck is those are the same. Then it, it just seems like like the conservative party argues that it should just have a lesser degree of these things than the liberals or the NDP. Right. So is it really a very conservative argument to say we should have all of these social programs just smaller? And how do you then define smaller? It seems quite tough. Well, I think the difference is, too, between what programs exist and which don't. The Liberals and the NDP's solution for things is always more. Mm -hmm. Put more money into the problem, uh, get another government program, uh, spend, 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 and then 
eventually things will be fine. We'll just keep throwing money at the problem until it's there. The conservative solution for things is not necessarily like that. You have to have the government programs in a way, and they can be efficient and effective. But the conservative philosophy, at least how I put it, is that instead of giving a handout, like the liberals do, it's offering a hand up. It's offering people tools to be able to improve themselves and their lives in general versus the government of a liberal or NDP uh, government, for example, is more going to throw out more money at the problem and see where that kind of gets us. Okay. Is, is there, I'm going to bounce around a bit because I'm still interested in kind of questioning the, the idea of the politician in you. So of any of the mainstream candidates, like the top five that were running for the conservative leadership, are there any that if they would have won, you wouldn't have supported? Like, because you clearly, I don't know who your top choice was out of the 12 that were running. Um, maybe it was Andrew Shear, but if, let's say it was, and, you know, if Bernier would have won or, or I don't know who the third or fourth place people were, but do you kind of fall in line behind that person? And I is like the ex- Sorry, go ahead. Is the expectation that everyone in the party should, and that's why there's like this friction with, or there was such friction with Maxime Bernier? Well, to start on the kind of expectation point, regardless of what party you are, that's kind of how it has to work. Okay. Because your party just becomes instantly undermined if you have people at their throats within the party. Yeah. You, everybody has differences of opinion and different views. People do within every one of those leadership candidates in general had differences with other people. Otherwise, they yeah. wouldn't be running. Yeah. But the forum to express that is not a, uh, breaking off and creating your own party, per mm-hmm. se. And I think conservatives are much more uh, kind of aware of that. And I think that's why the Big Ten exists. Because when they did break off with the Reform Party in the 90s, there's no chance the of you winning government. You can't win government when you have two divided conservative parties who are getting roughly equal shares of the vote and the liberals are cruising to majority after majority because the vote's so split on the side need yeah. to have a united front that way so isn't think- there something to be said about having like a fringe right-wing party that the so like the ndp exists and the green party exists so the the most extreme left-wingers can leak out of the liberal party and not pull it as much that's true you can have there can be parties on the right there are ones that pop up like maxi parties there now yeah. What support it gets in the election, I doubt very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's there as an outlet if people feel that they have all right tendencies that are anti-immigration and things that uh, are not what Andrew Shear or the Conservative Party stands for. And if they want to express their vote that way, I guess they can. Tim Mullen, they... 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, would, however they want to do express that vote and do that, that's totally that's totally their call. But within the party itself i think it's very much um falling behind your leader and, and moving forward in a, a cohesive way is important for the unity of the party and for the overarching views that the people hold because the only people you're hurting when you do that is really your own party and so then what are your thoughts on the republican party doing that because everyone has been challenging them that they should challenge Trump, even though he's the leader of their party. Like, what is the degree to which that holds true? Would you have supported Kelly Leach if she had managed to win 
And like, where is that line? Well, Trump is a kind of interesting, uh, because he's not really a true Republican. They that, say that's the thing is he's he's more like an infiltrator of someone who kind of jumped jumped in and all of a sudden took the party over. Yeah. Uh, versus party people within it. Um, but clearly enough of the people Republicans. in the party supported him. That's true. Right. So um, the party was that they just didn't know. Yeah, and I think it's also a pers- the Republicans kind of pushed their party rightward and rightward from the Tea Party in 2010. Yeah, to set them to set the stage up that they're going to uh, rail against um, the establishment and and everything. That mm-hmm. when somebody comes in that isn't the establishment, and all of a sudden actually wins, they're surprised. Well, they shouldn't have really been surprised because they set they set themselves up for that. Yeah. Well, so where where is your line, or have you thought about the line, like Kelly Leach, Kevin O'Leary? Those were the two you know, abrasive candidates in, in the federal conservative race, if they had won, do you still feel it's important to, ha- I mean, you might not want to answer now that they have lost and they were those things, but do you at least think about that? Or like, cause I'm trying to figure out how the parties, the people in the parties actually work. Well, you can see in, in certain aspects that some of those candidates were more, uh, had some more differing views, I guess you could say. Kevin O'Leary was more just bombastic. I don't think he had views that were very much different than uh, mm-hmm. anyone else's of kind of uh, smaller, more efficient government, um, spending on on programs that's within lo- line of what the government's actually earning. Things, yeah. the conservative principles that I strongly believe in and that inform my views, I think are very similar to his. He just has that showbiz kind of personality yeah. that he brought to the table, kind of ranching up the the uh, star power, I guess you could say, of his candidacy when really it was nothing, no different than anyone else's. Yeah. With regard to Kelly Leach, on the other hand, I still don't understand really what that her campaign was about. Okay. Because Kelly, from what I understand, I don't, know her but from people that i do that know her or worked with her that's not really the person that she is or the views that she's held before she was a progressive conservative before for a long time back uh, involved in youth going forward she was never that kind of conservative before when she was minister of labor none of that and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden out of the blue when she's running for leadership she just stakes out this position and goes way off to this side what i think it more was was a kind of political ploy yeah to simply say you know what the field's all kind of the same everyone's the same there's not really much difference between these people i'm going to stake out this ground and it worked for trump and it'll work for me and it definitely didn't work for her um so i don't think that she actually really had faith in those views or those were principles that she had long held yeah i think it was more an election ploy to kind of do that and if she'd gotten all the way through and say for some thing that she won i don't think you would have seen that um really come into practice anyway and it's evident of uh the base too where you say oh well the conservative party look there's um somebody who's pushing that kind of anti-immigrant canadian values rhetoric and she gets i think she finished eighth or seventh Mm -hmm. or something with like eight percent of the vote or something that that's and that's the party membership voting on that and that shows that they clearly don't believe or have faith in, in that vision that she was putting forward so how do you feel then about you being in the same party as those people, right? So that's what the the right is often painted as, right? Even if Trump wouldn't have won, even if Kelly Leach doesn't win, you're still on the same team as some racists and some, you know, 
homophobes and some of these people who are in that party, right, who align on some of them and they're not in control of the party, but you're on the same team. I think it's more difficult. I mean, you could say that, I guess, from the NDP perspective, too. You could say there's communists and anarchists or something on that side of the spectrum and they, mm-hmm. they vote NDP, too. Um, but I think in general, it's a challenge for conservatives, especially young conservatives. Yeah. Um, to kind of to address that, because people don't expect you to to have those have political leanings that are center right. Clearly, if you were to ask somebody on the street and they go, oh, what's your who did you vote for? They probably think, oh, yeah, you're probably a liberal. Mm-hmm. So it's you're you're not fighting, but those kind of uh boundaries are, I guess, that kind of put around you, a box around you, that, oh, yeah, this is who you actually vote for. Really, you don't. So I think it takes explaining a lot of times your position because people think conservative, they may go to the absolute negative, which a lot of people who aren't necessarily informed would do that. Yeah, They go, oh, they, um, oh, Donald Trump. They, no, Canadian conservatives aren't American Republicans and Donald Trump. There's yeah. a difference there. And there's a difference within the party between being um socially conservative for example and being uh like fiscal conservative which is what i would probably describe myself as but how do you like some people want to know how you can play in the same sandbox as people who are hardcore social conservatives why do you want them in your tent right because that's kind of what it comes down to because i think it's there's more there's more issues that you agree on than you disagree on i think is what it comes down to because and it's about respecting other people's views, and I think that's very much a conservative principle. Is the that principle of free speech? Mm-hmm. Of course, free speech can cross a line, and it can become hate speech. Which and that line is fuzzy and hard to draw. Even the courts yeah. have had a very hard time drawing what is actual freedom of speech and freedom of expression for you to express your views, regardless of what they are, versus them uh, being expressed in such a way that they actually start infringing on someone else's rights because they are hateful or they may incite violence, for example. So it's, uh, I think conservatives have strong, hold that as a very strong principle of freedom of speech. So we respect someone else's view immediately and their right to express that view. We may not agree, but we understand their right to express it. Whereas I think people on the left per se, they don't have that same appreciation or understanding of freedom of speech they viewed it as well freedom of speech is freedom to say things that i also agree with and if i don't agree with them then it's i don't like them and i don't want to hear them you don't have a right to express that view yeah i think is what I, what you see much more on the left which is not not a good thing you want to have that debate and discussion and conservatives i think just because we value free speech inherently we're much more open to uh, having those discussions and debates with people and understanding mm-hmm. that within that, we still have common ground on certain issues. And I think that's what holds everyone together. And I think that's hard for some people who aren't uh, conservative to understand when they're looking at the party going, well, how do you have um, people who are LGBT in the conservative party, for example? Yeah. And then how do you have people who are uh religious social conservatives also within the same party but what are they agreeing on how are they interacting i think people have a hard time understanding that that we at least from my experience is that we look at it from a big picture perspective is you may have disagreements with someone but that doesn't mean 
that you can't get along with them as a, on a person-to-person basis, and that you don't have other issues that you will align on. You're looking at the bigger picture. I want to jump in on that because so obviously you are gay and and the uh, well, maybe not obviously to people listening, but to you and I. um, But that is something that is quite interesting because, you know, I had people I voted for Doug Ford and I had people on my Facebook part of the LGBTQ community that said like, that I am no longer there. They didn't say this explicitly, but they would post, if you voted for Doug Ford, you're no longer my friend and like that kind of stuff Um, because they would use fringe candidates like uh, Tanya, uh, whatever her name was. Yeah, Greta Cowan. That like, that's the party. So I'm a horrible person, right? And so I'm interested from your point of view, you know, as someone who's part of the LGBTQ LGBTQ community, and a conservative, what is that like? And and aren't there some people, you know, that actually dislike you? Because there there, there are some people who still think homophobia, homo, homosexuals are awful, right? And and you know shouldn't be married and all of those things. And if they were going to be in a major political party, they would be in yours. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think it depends. People have their own views about issues like that, and they can. They may vote for whichever party, Maxine Bernier's party. Who knows what party they're voting for? Yeah. But in general, looking at the um, spectrum, I guess, of conservatives, there are a fair amount of LGBT conservatives. They're out there because they have ish- views that are similar to mine, that are center-right. They value free enterprise, uh, a government that lives within its means and that's efficient and cares about uh, the value of a dollar and respects the people uh, that voted for them. Do you feel the like the, do you feel like there's LGBTQ people who are closeted conservatives? Because that's kind of like it's been a joke in some television shows, but it's also been coming up in the states at least. This idea as of like you know gay people and black people and other minority groups coming out as conservative because they're just assumed to obviously not be that way. Oh, I think completely. And it's just, it might, it may be because they either don't discuss their political views, which is a lot of people don't. Yeah. They vote and they have a view and it's not necessarily public knowledge and they don't talk about it with their friends. It's just you and I and all the politicos who discuss yeah. what's happening in politics and who they voted for and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there, there may be a people, uh, in that have uh, right-leaning views who are gay who don't necessarily feel that they want to express that because it's like the shock factor every time mm-hmm. instead of just going oh yeah i voted for justin trudeau and oh yeah uh yeah he's great so did i blah 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 and then you're done if it goes into oh well i voted for uh andrew Shear, for example then people go like what and then you have to start into this whole uh conversation about what your values are and and what you agree with and what you may not agree with and it's kind of you feel like you're needing to educate people all the time because they instantly may take this one view that's not actually accurate of what the party is or what it stands for or what you believe but when they hear that you vote conservative they're instantly confused and all uh kind of thrown off when they would expect you to vote another way it's not to say everybody does it's uh, um tons of people that i know that are actively engaged in politics in general or whatever would not be surprised if somebody said they voted conservative and they just kind of accept that even if they were LGBT. Mm-hmm. Do you, the way it's talked about and the way you just talked about it has like 
parallels with you know coming out as gay right like people would assume someone was straight and when they oh and then they they're inquiring oh what is that like what does it mean how like do you find that it's kind of a parallel like to, again- to a degree yeah it, it you can kind of describe it as as similar because people who um aren't fully out may feel like they some people might know and then other people may not know then when they're coming out then they have to feel like it has to be explained mm-hmm. but it's almost that's almost not easier um but a, a concept that people grasp maybe more nowadays at least younger people nowadays um than the conservative thing which i think is something that needs more debate frankly and, and discussion on because people can go oh you're gay okay yeah sure and then we'll move on um are there any people go conservative it goes okay now you have to describe what your views are and how that aligns yeah and i want to know exactly i guess yeah i want to know exactly what type of conservative you are whereas that isn't the type of question you get uh you know i if someone says they're part of the queer community you don't need it's it's seen as quite improper to say well exactly what part of the queer community are you yeah, it, 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 the conservative thing kind of piques people's interest and they all of a sudden want to know um, what kind of the results are. Like, oh, well, why did you vote for them? How, when did you become a conservative? Uh, those kind of questions uh, are raised. And I, I think it's useful to discuss. And that's why I'm happy to have these kinds of conversations because it's, I think it's useful to have that discussion, have your, these viewpoints out there because it educates people too who don't maybe haven't met uh, an LGBT conservative or uh, a conservative that has a different view on something. I think it's a part of that is kind of a fear of, of the other where you go, Oh no, no, I'm not going to have anything in common with them. I don't want to talk to them. But when you actually talk to somebody that fits into one of those um, categories per se, say it's a social conservative and you go, Oh no, the social conservatives are awful. Mm -hmm. I would never agree with anything from them, blah, blah, blah. But then you meet somebody and they're a social conservative, but they're, just like you in almost every other aspect. Yeah. They like the same TV shows that you do. You can go to, to the bar for a drink, all of that kind of stuff. And you totally get along with them that way. It makes you think that, oh, well, maybe they're not so scary. It's the kind of the fear of the other yeah. that I think is what actually riles people up a lot more than what the actual, the actual people themselves or the issue may be. And it's so like mind blowing to me that we talk about conservatism that way, which is exactly the way we would think that, I mean, not I, but you'd hear that when, you know, homosexuals were first at large coming out of the closet. um, That's the way it was talked about. Right. It's, you know, it's an other. We don't understand it. So it's scary. We don't talk about it and, and that kind of thing. But now it's like flipped to part of the political sphere. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that kind of uh, similar similar language, I guess you could say, around that uh, that goes to I think kind of the the lack of debate that we have in society now on well, certain issues yeah, where I've... people don't have the ability to feel like they can have a discussion on on issues themselves and have a different view with someone without offending them or stepping on their toes. Yeah, and I think that's like to me it really just comes down to dialogue, right? Like the reason like we used to not be allowed to talk or like homosexuals couldn't talk about it it wasn't allowed on television and and these kinds of things so it wasn't able to come to the forefront quickly right but conversation and dialogue and and the activists forcing that is what allowed 
it to improve, right? Dialogue is what wins out in any case. Yeah, I complete I completely agree. And I think that's one of the things that's really lacking overall, both in universities now yeah. um, and kind of in the public sphere in general, is almost like a war on free speech in yeah. a way because everything is so um, po- politicized to be political, politically correct in a way when you'd have be much better off if people could have a uh, reasonable discussion on these issues. Do you find that, you that it's... have parties coming away with more common ground than they would when they're just bla- viewing the other side as quote unquote the other and saying I would never have anything in common with them and staying in their own little world. Do you find it's worse in the LGBTQ community? Because from what I've read, it's it seems to be worse in the minority communities because on average, more of them are the left-wing people and the young ones are more of these SJW types. So from what I understand, for like, I'm sure there's some, like, maybe there's some LGBT conservative group, but any of the just, like, average run-of-the-mill LGBTQ groups tend to be pretty far left. That's I would agree with that. You'd, it'd be much more if you were to do a poll or something of where people fall. Oh, the vast majority would probably fall much more on the left side of the spectrum um, than the right. But those people on the left also, I find, tend to be more more vocal than the people on the right. I know when I look back even before, um, even a few years ago, you'd think, oh, there's not really that many gay conservatives or gay people on the center right side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are quite a large number that exist and are out there that are just not as as loud, yeah. I guess you could say, and what their views are. Um, for example, a bunch are, would be out, say, protesting Doug Ford at uh, Queen's Park. Mm-hmm. Did you see a bunch of uh, conservatives out protesting Kathleen Wynne at Queen's Park? No. No. So it, it's a kind of, it's a, they exist in equal kind of capacities there, I think. It's just one is much more visible than what the other is. What do you think is to be said about these minority groups creating bipartisan organizations? So I think, like, so Jews tend to be conservative right now, generally, um, but there are still bipartisan Jewish advocacy groups that care, like, so, but I don't know of any bipartisan LGBTQ advocacy groups or or many other minority groups that have that that can really put aside the politics and and address the the things that unite them more than focus on the things that separate them. I think that's totally yeah the whole realm of there not really being anything is actually a big loss. The work that um, groups like CJ Pack do to run um, kind of the Jewish advocacy mm-hmm. political engagement side across all parties, across the spectrum is amazing work. They do a, uh, they're an amazing organization and do so much to bring people who have something in common, whether they're, they're Jewish or they have Jewish friends, etc. They are able to come together and in a, in a forum where they can have kind of discussion, they may not agree on politics, but it serves a really big purpose of having people there in a room to have that kind of dialogue. And I think in a whole lot of other, I guess, minority uh, groupings, you'd be much better off if there were to be some kind of bipartisan or multipartisan 
grouping where people could have those kinds of uh, discussions. But I think you just don't because you see that over-politicization on the left of those issues where it becomes an us versus them. And you see that with um, Pride Toronto over the last several years yeah. of them becoming so polarizing that police aren't allowed in, in Pride and to the point where it, it almost becomes um, ridiculous of going totally against what they stand for as being an inclusive organization. I'll push you a little bit. I, I definitely agree with all of those points, but I want to push you a little bit on the conservatives role in that, you know, because someone being anti-gay marriage is still allowed in the conservative tent, let's say, right? It's not the policy of the, of the party, but there's some homosexuals who would say that someone who is anti-gay marriage is against their, um, their right to exist fully or whatever. Right. Whereas, so they they feel on the defensive. They feel like it, it is harder to be multipartisan or bipartisan. Whereas if someone was an outright anti-Semite, they wouldn't really be given any platform or any ability in the political parties, right? If someone was anti-interracial marriage, these are quite outdated things. Whereas, um, do you get where I'm going? Like, so these groups are so the LGBTQ community is still on the defensive a bit because the conservative party does allow some of these views in their party still, but you know, they wouldn't allow someone who's a Jew hater. Well, I wouldn't say they, they allow them, I guess that they voters are allowed to have whichever uh, views that they, I want guess. Yeah. We don't back to kind of our discussion on, on um, what is free speech uh, versus hate speech. Yeah. And we don't know um, what each voter is voting. Those people could be voting liberal for all, you know, they could really like their, um, their their candidate, they may look at one candidate and go, oh, yeah, no, I really like them. Oh, but I don't like the other candidate for whatever reason, which could be uh, motivated for any reason that would be not politically correct, per se. They could vote for any candidate. Um, but when you're looking at the party itself, if the party doesn't um, expose those views or would they would never support those views at this point. They've already clearly stated that the marriage debate not being reopened any of those kinds of uh, debates, which social conservatives, some of them um, are active in the party yeah. and every leader that we've had has fully stated that those are not party positions and you wouldn't get somebody running in, uh, uh, in being elected, holding extreme views like that because it wouldn't be seen to be uh, something that the party would allow because it doesn't align with the party's values. But do you understand how the, the, avail the the ability for someone to hold those views and not be you know deemed completely unacceptable can contribute to some of these issues i can see people being offended by that I, it's completely but i think it also st it still goes back to the um, like if they're yeah freedom of speech thing that you may uh, disagree with what their personal held belief is but they have every right to hold that belief and mm. you may not, you may not agree, but that's fine. You can't, can't, you shouldn't be in the business of policing other people's beliefs or thoughts. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a little funny because historically it's the conservatives who were more so about that. They're not right now, but they had been right about policing, you know, 
what pe like how people should behave based on moral and religious teachings. And that's, I mean, that's a juxtaposition that I find uh, almost kind of amusing about some social conservatives per se that will hold a uh, small government mindset and the fact that government should not be in our lives, et cetera, unless when it comes to uh, a socially conservative position, for example, and then, oh, no, the government should get involved to uh, police, acts, yeah. for example. I think that position is very, very juxtaposed in the fact yeah. that they clearly don't go together. Um, but those people have every right to hold that view if they want. <laughs> All right. And so I want to ask then how it felt the Conservative Party only recently or relatively recently, um, you know, changed their stance and officially said the marriage debate, the gay marriage debate is not going to be reopened. This is our position. How did it feel being a conservative, a gay conservative before they had that? And what did it, how did, what was that process like for you? I think it was very uh, kind of a, a, a formal, final, like symbolic check off the kind of to to change that policy because never before it wasn't like before i felt like the party didn't represent me and i didn't belong and then all of a sudden the second they changed this oh i felt like everything was i belonged and etc mm -hmm. i felt perfectly like i belonged before i had all the same friends and people that i had before they made the change and none of it was an issue were you fully out that, as well yeah before with um some of those people yeah but it was the the change was very much more symbolic and still meaningful, very mm. meaningful for me. And that it helped me with that process of finally kind of coming out in total to everyone that you could see that the party's finally, finally moved uh, past that point where it is no longer something that has to be there and seeing everyone's outpouring of support for that change and proposal from people who I wouldn't necessarily um, say are, more center right they may they're probably they're more right than me mm -hmm. on certain issues um but they would be fully supportive of this change was something that i found just really positive and to move forward that kind of inclusive atmosphere that everyone's welcome in the party with the big tent party and we're taking this last outdated provision out um as essentially symbolic at that point to say you know what we're done with this this chapter's closed and we're moving forward do you think like is it mostly an idea of thank goodness we finally got here or is there any sentiment around why did it take so long no i think because the moving the removing the provision per se um was very symbolic it wasn't like the party all of a sudden decided that okay, well, half the party still doesn't agree with this, et cetera, et cetera. It was more like it was long overdue for them to, to remove that. Mm -hmm. I think the party did, obviously, if you look at the voting record for when um, the same-sex marriage debate happened and when they passed it in 2004, I think it was, mm -hmm. obviously the, the vast majority of the party at that time voted against. And it was simply a different time. Now you there would be the support is much broader uh, across the party with numerous members uh, marching in pride and just there being a greater acceptance. And there's been such an acceleration of that over the last 10 years, both uh, in Canada, uh, Europe and the United States, even going back to say less than 10 years ago, almost even that uh, 
Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton were both firmly stating that they believed in the traditional definition of marriage. Mm-hmm. And that you think, oh, no, they're so liberal. But that was eight years ago, maybe now. Yeah. And they still held that position of people who are like Democrats, very like left leaning. So I think there's just been such an acceleration in the last few years of, of with society in general uh, to move that forward. I think that's such an important thing that most people that are around our age that are now politically inclined, they just don't realize that even in Canada, gay marriage has only been legal for 15 years, right? Like they, they, they think that society was born today and it's just the way it is. And anyone who disagrees with it is a horrible human, right? That it, there wasn't like a process to get here. Um, no, there, and there was a, a long process and it takes time to change those views. Nothing mm-hmm. happens overnight. And I don't think you can look back, say 10 years ago and go, Oh, look at this. This was the vote. And Oh, everybody voted against. And everyone's entitled to evolve in their positions as, as they are as society changes. Yeah. And I think it's you've seen over the last 10 years that kind of that acceleration that's mm-hmm. really positive, especially in the conservative party. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on. So I think Doug Ford said he wouldn't march in pride. Um, and, you know, my response was, I don't care. Right. Like whether he marches in pride or not has no impact on me whatsoever. I understand why some people would want him to. Um, but I got flack for not caring about that one way or the other. And like, I I view pride as mostly virtue signaling, right? Like it doesn't actually mean anything. It's not like he's putting, anyone's putting forward policies pro or anti-LGBTQ at pride. It's just, sign, it's symbolically showing the support for the community. But I would just take for granted that most people support the community now. and And so maybe that's my my privilege I've been told, but like I got flack that I should care about this. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on that whole situation. I don't think it's, it is very much a media exercise almost is what it is Mm -hmm. now for the leader to come wave and they go, Oh my God, great. He's here. And then move on kind of thing. There is no policy or anything being released. And the party has been active there, federal and provincial for years now. Mm Mm-hmm both with a large number of MPs, a whole bunch of leadership candidates from the last, um, in 2015 and 2016 or whatever the federal leadership was. But I'm, I'm more interested in, in the idea of, of not the party itself, but of people who, about whether people should care about it or not. Obviously it's good for the party, but if they like, should people actively care about if they do this or not? I think everyone's own kind of view. Some people take it as very symbolic that the leader should be marching in it because if they don't, that means they don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's accurate. I think that's looking at uh, just one figure, like an image and saying, this is what we believe. When really you should look at what the person's actions are overall versus them just uh, doing one thing that looks good on paper. Yeah. For example, Justin Trudeau, I'm a feminist. I need 50% <laughs> women in my cabinet. They're all going to be in cabinet. Great. That's perfect. And then when push comes to shove and somebody challenges on the position, boom, there two of them are gone. Yeah. So you look at that and say, like, is that actually, it looks all great on paper and Trudeau's marching pride and all this is all wonderful. But is that more important, the image, or is uh, what they're actually doing on the ground more important? Of course, it's still important for some of those people to be there because it, it does show support 
Um, but does, does the leader have to be there every year marching in it? No. And I think um, getting upset over, over that is uh, kind of a bit ridiculous. And he's more than entitled to take the position that if the police aren't there, then I'm not going to march up. Because I think it's got to the point with Pride Toronto too that it is becoming a bit silly, their position yeah. on some things. Well, and also I think Pride is a certain type of event as well. It's not like it's just a bunch of, like there's lots of people showing off their, their boobs and their penises and all that stuff. And like, I think it's perfectly valid to not want to do that, right? Like conservative Jews, for example, would never go to Pride even if they support uh you know gay rights because they don't support themselves seeing that right and it's like to to say that someone should have all of those um you know just be open to the whole package or they hate everything about it it's it's just false oh it totally is and pride is one very 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 small segment of the lgbt community yeah that doesn't represent the large majority of people who are LGBT mm -hmm. in Canada. So you can't say by going here, all of a sudden you don't support the whole community. I think uh, that kind of position is ridiculous because it is more um, the extreme uh, position of what uh, being part of the community is uh, versus what ordinary LGBT, LGBT people uh, would act like on their their day-to-day yeah. -day life. That, that's not your typical Saturday? <laughs> not for me no um all right i want to ask one last question what is the number one conservative policy you disagree with official party policy that, that you disagree with that i disagree with yeah oh that's a good one um <laughs> the hard thing is there isn't that I'm recording much put there's, there's nothing really put forward for the federal election in the fall. Okay. So you may have to get back to me with that one. All right. For the fall. All right. When they put their platform out, because there'll be something I don't agree with because there, there always is. Nobody agrees with everything and yeah. every platform totally. But when stuff starts to come out, I'll be able to give you an answer. All right. All right. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your insights with me. I really appreciate it. No problem, David. Happy to. And yeah, I, I definitely hope to have you back again soon. Of course.